Hi, I'm Martha from Primary Paradise Teaching, and this is Author to Teacher, conversations with published authors about writing, teaching, and how we can support our students. During each episode, I'll chat with some amazing authors about their experiences as students, their journeys as writers, and their insights into teaching and learning from their unique perspectives. My hope is that these conversations will give teachers usable insight into how we can inspire our students to find their passion and voice as writers. Let's get started. Hi, and welcome to this episode of Author to Teacher. I am so excited today. I'm going to be talking to Dennis Matthew, who is an author a singer-songwriter, and an elementary school speech pathologist. So he wears many hats, and I'm very excited to speak with Dennis today. His Two of his books that I have personally read before include um, Bello the Cello and My Wild First Day of School. So hi, Dennis. How are you? Hey, how's it going? Thank you so much for joining me. Absolutely. So Again, thank you for coming. Thank you for joining us on our third Author to Teacher. I'm super excited because I think you have a really unique perspective with all of the things that you do on top of being an author. So let's just start with, can you tell me a little bit about yourself and tell our viewers a little bit about you in case they don't know your work? Yeah, so uh, I'm an elementary school speech pathologist. Um, Going into my 15th year, we'll be starting back up next week, in fact. So there goes summer. But along with that, yes, I'm, I'm a children's author and a songwriter singer as well. So I, uh, you know, present to hundreds of you know, schools around the country here in the U.S. and sometimes even overseas uh, to schools around the world. You know, I uh, present my books and sing my songs and things like that. Yeah. Very cool. Very awesome. So I'm going to get right into it. Again, if you are watching this and you have questions, feel free to add them to the chat or add them as a question, and then we'll address those at the end. So my first question for you, Dennis, is when did you know you wanted to become an author? It wasn't, it wasn't, you know, big on my radar. I think I always kind of back in my head, I was just like, it'd be nice if I wrote a book someday. But it was just one of those, you know, someday I hope to run a full marathon. One of those, one of those like crazy dreams. I wonder what, what would it be like? You'd be nice, but, you know, it takes a lot of work. Talking about a marathon, I did run a full marathon in uh, 2018. I know, right? So it was one of those crazy dreams. Uh, writing a book was along up there on that list along with running a full marathon. So, um, and then uh, what, what really inspired me to have the crazy idea was the first school that I uh, worked at, did my student teaching at here uh, in Mustang, Oklahoma. It was just a magical place, a magical school. I, you know, I always had this idea of, man, if I could capture the energy, the aura of this building and put it in a children's book, it'd be really uh, awesome. And that was back in 2007. Fast forward around 10 years, 2016, 2017 is when I got hit with some life circumstances and in just in an absence of busyness in, in this empty vacuum, so, so, so to speak, when I didn't have anything else to do, I needed something to feel like I was being productive with my time. And, and to, be, to be accurate, I was unemployed at the time. Mm-hmm. So I could not find work in speech pathology when I, we had just moved to Boston from Oklahoma. And um, because I was having a hard time finding work, 
yet I wanted to kind of make use of my time. I was like, you know what, maybe this is a good time to kind of just take a shot at trying to write that story I had in my mind. And that story was Bello the Cello. After I wrote the story, though, on a Word document in my laptop, I didn't know what the next set of steps would be. I did a ton of research uh, to find an independent publisher, find the right il illustrators for my uh, book, my first book. And fast forward, I think, uh, I've, you know, it's been two and a half years since Bello came out and uh, it's sold over 10,000 copies now. My journey is unique in that um, I deal with public schools. Public schools are my main client, so to speak. Um, so right before I hopped on this Instagram Live, I was on a FaceTime call with a librarian uh, in Georgia whose school is wanting to buy Bello for every child in the building. Uh, and so, you know, that's about four, over 400 students. And so that's that's the nature of my operation. I kind of have full, two full-time jobs. I have my daytime school job, right, where I have my own students and my school team that I work with, right, just like any any other educator. But when I'm done with my school job, then my next kind of full-time gig takes over, which is connecting with hundreds of education educators nationally. And so my journey is unique in that all these books that I'm selling or distrib distributing are directly going from the author to the public schools across the country. So I want to say Bello has reached over 70,000 students okay. since I started this journey some two and a half years ago. So that's yeah. kind of the that's kind of the nature of my operation, which is very unique. Uh, even for uh, if, if you talk to any author out there, I, I have yet to meet an author that kind of takes this approach to writing a book and moving it in massive quantities directly into schools. And, and the big satisfying point of it all has been to just to seeing books getting into the hands of children uh, who otherwise would not have the resources, the funds or the connections to, you know, get the books that are uh, needed in our classrooms today. So. That's so interesting. And I also think, like you said, you have a unique perspective because you are in schools mm -hmm. every day working with kids. So your perspective on what kids want to read, you're, you're right there. You're on the pulse of like what kids are interested yes. in what they want to read. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And yeah. so like, you know, when, when I'm asked, what is your mission as an author? You know, I've got a, a like a two pronged answer that I always give to students and educators. So to the student, you know, my mission is to write to the underdog in the classroom. Right. Because uh, I resonate a lot with that child that uh, is finding it hard to be seen. I connect a lot with that story because that's my story. Um, so when I write, I always, you know, a lot of my stars in my books are these underdog characters who everybody has counted out. And then the story is basically about uh, them overcoming whatever odds are in their way. When, when an educator asks me, you know, what, what is your mindset or philosophy or mission when you write? It is to kind of make sure that my books are not just this, these quick reads that are wafer thin, but I want them to be like curriculum resources to my educators. So I write as a speech pathologist. So I make sure that, you know, there's enriching vocabulary in my books, that there are plots that can be taken apart in my book. My book's very well, uh, you know, uh, integrated with social emotional learning skills and um, the, gro the growth mindset, things of that nature. So 
all of those things that we're wanting to talk about in the classroom, I make sure that is is, is well inserted into my stories. I, I, I like to say that my, my stories have depth. You know, the characters can be analyzed. The plot can be analyzed. So and I'm also big on just character development. My newest book that just came out is called How Grizzly Found Gratitude. And um, the, the message of the book basically is gratitude can help you get through trauma. That's the message I'm trying to drive home with that. So that's that's kind of how I, those are the ingredients that I kind of put into the process of making a story or making a book. That's very cool. And I love that you're pulling in those things that teachers are going to want their kids to learn. So speaking of teachers, I want to think about Dennis as a student. So go back to when you were in school. Mm, okay. um, and I'm curious, you know, I know that your route wasn't directly into writing, but I'm curious if there were any, you know, experiences in school, whether they were good or bad, that impacted your desire to become a writer or like, you know, your belief that you had the ability to become a writer. So any good, bad, ugly. Yeah. So I'm, I'm holding my wild first day of school. And the reason I wrote this book is because uh, I remember my first day of school. Like I remember how traumatic it was for me. You know, now I could, you know, look at myself and say I'm, I'm an outgoing type A, very, you know, I love engaging in conversations. But if you looked at, looked at childhood, Dennis, I was very much a shy, afraid to come out of his shell, introverted kind of uh, person. And so through that lens, though, when you put that kind of a child in a set of new circumstances on the first day, it can be very like, you know, nerve wracking. Uh, and, and so uh, anxiety provoking, if you will. So I remember my first day when my dad dropped me off at school. And when he drove off as a four or five year old, I literally thought I was being abandoned at, at school and I was not going to see my dad anymore, even though he said, no, I'm going to come back and pick you up after work. I could not quite process that. And so I remember to this day, just bawling my eyes out on, on day one. And to overcome those anxieties, I had to just go for it, right? Just close my eyes and take risks at, at making friends, take risks at raising up my hand to answer a question, take risks when it comes to making friendships. The message of my wild first day of school is encouraging little ones, hey, go wild within boundaries, right? Be safe, be healthy. Yeah. So so the, the, the message of my wild first day of school is don't be afraid to go wild. Don't be afraid to really enjoy your first day to the max to take that risk and be your own kind of wild as well. And so that right there, you know, my, my first day, I would say inspired writing my first day of school. And a lot of my books are drawn to uh, using animals as characters. And that's because I'm a big animal lover. I love animals. And also diversity is a big theme that is picked up on in all of my books. I mean, the, the classic example that most children are drawn to is this picture right here, uh, where a sloth is playing basketball with cheetahs. And, you know, so a, a lot of my scenarios and a lot of my books puts unlikely characters together in a context because that's been my life story. In any context, in most of the contexts that I've been, I've always been the odd one out. And so still, you know, by the grace of God, I found a way to find my place, you know, make my way in, make my inroads in, find my song like Bello did in the first book. Th those are the kind of worlds I like to create. The worlds that I create in my books, 
you know, they'll always have characters that have no business being around each other. Uh, the message being can differences of opinions, different viewpoints, different worldviews, can they coexist? And the answer mm -hmm. is yes, right? So that's a big message that I'm trying to like push through my books because I want our children to understand that you know, in this classroom that I'm in this year with Miss Jones or whoever, not everybody's like me. Not everybody comes from a background or an environment or a family like me, right? But I can still learn to love, get along, cooperate, build bridges, engage with my classroom family, even if my friends are from various backgrounds. So diversity is big. Language enrichment is big, big in my books. Uh, and then, you know, like I was saying earlier, social emotional learning, character development. A lot of it is just like, tapping into my own life stories and and using that to articulate these narratives yeah so speaking of you're saying you know you use your own life stories what would you what advice would you give to a student if you had a student come up to you and you know say mr matthew i want to write a book like you like what should i do what would you what advice would you give to that student yeah i always, I always tell my kids start right now you know, don't put it off. You know, you don't have to wait till next year to start writing. I feel like stories are always happening around us. Um, like even in the present, there are always stories. Um, and, and to write a story and make it a children's book, it does not have to be this huge, aha, momentous occasion that you capture into a book. It can be just a trip to the store, a, a, you know, a holiday that you got to spend with your family. Uh, my encouragement to my students um, often is, Pick any little happening in your world, grab a piece of paper, grab, grab a pencil or pen and just start writing, right? That first draft you create is not gonna be perfect. And often I tell my students, Mr. Matthew himself has to like often redo the stories that he writes. So like Bello the Cello had to be rewritten. Uh, How Grizzly Found Gratitude, I had to redo like three or four times. And so I always encourage children to not like, you know, I'll write when I have the perfect story up here in my mind. And I always, always tell kids that that day, you know, it's, it's very unlikely that that day will arrive where you decide to finally write when you have the perfect idea up here. I always tell children to just start now. I always encourage kids to, you know, cultivate the habit of journaling. I often journal my feelings, um, my, you know, the happenings of my day. I channel that into my everyday journal. Journaling is really good. And the reason I encourage my students to have the habit of journaling is because you, if you can consistently journal every day, like what happened in a day or how you felt in a day, you know, in a certain day, good or bad, you know, you will, you will stumble upon an idea in your very journaling habit that will be that aha story moment. Uh, because that's, that's what has often happened with me. You know, like I remember my trip to India with, with my family. So many beautiful things were happening and I was ca capturing it in my, uh, in my journal. And, you know, as I would journal, ideas would pop up. Oh, I wonder if this particular event and how I felt and where I was, how I was able to overcome conflict, could I capture that into a story, right? Into, into a book, in a, in a mythical place with animals and creatures. So I, don't, I, don't th I think ideas for stories that go on to sell a bunch of books or whatever, I don't those, those miraculous moments just happen when we are doing something that seems to be mundane and boring, right? Uh, that's, that's what I find in, in my own experience. I'll just be journaling like I'm always journaling uh, and an idea will just jump out of my journal at me and I'll go, oh my gosh, that would make a great story. So I often tell students, you're not gonna capture that perfect idea in your mind and then start writing. 
just start writing now, right? Whatever's coming to your mind, feelings, happenings, write about the people in your life, whatever. And then creativity will take over and, and the idea for a story will come out of that. So I always tell students, you know, fellow independent, aspiring authors out there, I always tell them, start now, don't wait. That's such great advice. And I also love what you said. Um, and I actually have touched on this when I spoke with Jared Lerner and actually with Jasmine Wright, who I spoke with last week. So you're all saying this, that basically, you know, we all have stories in us. You know, life is a story. That's how we communicate. And I also love what you said about how it doesn't have to be this big, fantastic story, because some of the most popular books like Good Night Moon is, you know, exactly. kids saying the things in their room or like uh, Nuffle Bunny is about a little girl who loses her stuffed animal at the laundromat. It's literally like a 20 minute time period. And these are, you know, best selling books. So that's such great advice. You know, the best books invite us to make much of these little moments in our day-to-day -day errands happenings that we just take so for granted. Going to the mm -hmm. store is the perfect example. I mean, like I have a two-year-old now, and I love how when we are going places, she gets lost in these very little moments that we as adults just kind of blow off. Uh, it could be just a butterfly landing on a leaf, uh, a bird flying by, she reacts to them like Santa just showed up, right? It's like this, oh my gosh, a bird. Um, and, and I think part of us, when we grow up to become adults, as adults, we lose a lot of that awe and wonder and, you know, magic, so to speak, that we see in life. We lose it um, as we grow up. That's just, that's just a part of life. I mean, I always encourage my educator friends, my grown-up, you know, author friends, don't, don't lose that awe and wonder that little children have. Because when you look at the world through the eyes of a child and recapture that awe and wonder, you will all of a sudden see a story in almost about anything, uh, right? And I think that's part of how, I mean, just talking about it, like I feel joy in me. Uh, I think just recapturing that magic, that joy, that awe, that wonder that children so easily look at the world with, right? When we capture that, you all, you all of a sudden just see a story all around you. Like you just see multiple stories all around you. And then that's the ease that you tap into to write. Right. So it's not that you just kind of sit there and go, hmm, how do I come up with a story? Oh, a farm. A farm would be nice in my story. Oh, oh yeah, a teddy bear. So that's not that that's that's that seems like a very mechanical process. The best stories written are, are just organic ones that just come to you, right? So so that's what really good children's books, really good children's stories uh make much of these everyday moments that we take for granted. So uh, I've I've noticed that. So yeah, I really agree with that. I also think, and kind of how the reason I started this series in the first place is that, like you said, children are so naturally creative and find wonder in everything. And then as teachers, we have to teach them, of course, the rules of writing. But I think a lot of times in doing that, we suck out their creativity yes. because we're yes. so focused on like, do you have capitals at the beginning of your sentence? Oh, you have okay. a run on, yeah. you know, a big reason I wanted to start talking to authors is because I want, as Jasmine said last week, you can get an editor to like fix the, the typos and things like that, but you can't get an editor to embed that creativity. So I guess just trying to figure out what's the best way we can help our students retain that creativity 
in their writing instead of yeah. sucking it out of their writing. <laughs> yeah, so I think we we sacrifice magic to these mechanics, right? And so I often often tell my friends who are wanting to write a book, I, I, I and students too, just write. Don't don't you know put a break and a pause. Don't don't try to get it all right on paper the first time. Just let it just come out of you organically. Uh, and then just like you said, perfect, perfectly put, the editor will, will make sure that the punctuations, the mechanics and, and all that, the flow and all that is is uh, captured after the fact. But let the writing just come out of you naturally, right? Yeah. You're, I, 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 love, I love what you just said. You said a lot of times we replace mechanics. We replace the magic with mechanics. And, I, and right. that's exactly what I think that we, we tend to do to students is we take away their joy about seeing a butterfly land on a leaf because they're just trying to get their, you know, get the sentence right. And then by the time they're done, we missed that magical moment of their description of like, you know, the butterfly. Like my, my daughter recently said, oh, I just saw trash blowing in the wind like a ninja. And I was like, I have to write that down. That's so good. That's very good. <laughs> uh, something that my daughter does is um, every time she, she'll see a bug, um, you know, on the floor or whatever, she does that lot whole like, oh my gosh, a bug. And she like, you know, bend over and she'll say, oh, baby bug. And then she'll go, dad a bug, mama bug, baby bug. Even though, even though there's only one bug sitting right mm -hmm. in front of her, right? And she'll say, oh, bug wants to say hi, bug. And she'll just start talking to the bug. Like the bug can understand what she's saying or like, like, like the bug's talking back to her. That's that's where magic lives, right? That's where imagination and creativity lives. Um, and I think when, as adults, we try to be authors, we kind of put all that imagination on the shelf and we try to be very mechanical about, all right, let's write, let's write a story with a beginning, middle, and an end. And that's why you end up with like boring products. But if you mm -hmm. just let, let your imagination run wild with no reins, right? And then you go back and fix things up, you'll, you'll end up with a much better product, yeah. I totally agree. So I'm curious also going back to you as a student and kind of your experience. Do you, did you have a favorite teacher in school? Because I know not everyone does. Not everybody has that teacher that really inspires them. And if so, can you tell us a little bit about your favorite teacher and why they were a good teacher? I would. I had um, multiple favorite teachers and I, I wouldn't say I was an amazing student in grade school. I gave my teachers all a hard time. I would not follow directions well. Um, you know, I was definitely not the kind of kid that sat at their desk and did paper pencil work. I loved teachers that engaged me, captured me with, you know, with their character, their personality, their relationship building skills. I, I especially loved teachers that that you know, gave me a lot of tough love, were, were firm with me. But at the same time, just because they're, they were firm, it didn't mean that they loved me any less, right? Those are the kind of teachers I really loved. And then absolutely loved my art and music teachers. Um, and I think that's where, uh, even at a young age, art and music started talking to me, like started speaking to me about, hey, dude, there might be an appeal and affinity for music and art within you, right? So fast forward, now, you know, I write songs and I, you know, play my guitar and I, I present to schools all across the country. So I would say art and music teachers were right up there, some of my favorites. And then always just loved teachers that were firm with their boundaries and expectations and whatnot. 
But at the same time, the teacher, those teachers that invested time in having a conversation or joking around or building a relationship with uh, with little Dennis. So had multiple uh, favorite teachers, so to speak. But it's definitely the ones that gave me the attention uh, and were receptive to me because I definitely was a wild kid, no doubt about it. And I, the teachers that understood that, I really appreciated them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I think that's huge. Seeing each kid for who they are, and mm-hmm. it, of course, you know, you can't have your kids like swinging from the light fixture. But there's a nice balance of letting kids be kids and be themselves. And I think teachers now much more than when like I was growing up. Yeah, and probably when you were growing up, are better at letting kids be themselves more. Although there's still a lot of work to do. Mm-hmm. But I'm curious, do you as a person love reading? And this is a two-part question. Do you think it's important to have a strong base in reading to be a good writer? Or is that not necessarily something that you you see? So with me, I can tell you reading's hard for me. I love reading, but I even tell this to students. Like, um, you know, so when I do my presentations, I always tell kids, you would you would think that because I'm an author, that writing comes easily to me, that that I just absolutely find reading. Well, I enjoy reading, but reading's hard. So when I read something, I've got to read it multiple times. When I write, writing comes very hard to me, like the process of it, the thought of it, the thought process. So I share with students that I write because I love stories, but getting the stories out is the hard part for me, but I, and, but still I have to persist through it. Um, I w- so to answer your question, I don't think it's absolutely essential to have a good foundation in reading or to absolutely love reading. I think it's important to love stories mm-hmm. to be an author. For me, you know, the place I go to stories the most are movies. I love movies. And I think it's because I'm I'm primarily a visual learner. I learn and remember something when it's visually demonstrated for me. So a lot of times I'll go to movies for inspiration, but but a lot of times it's harder because reading does not come super easy for me. I can tell you my wife who's a lawyer she can fly through a book. But for me, like getting through a chapter, like it take, may take days because I want to make sure I read it correctly, highlight it. Yes. I've got to read it multiple times. So I feel like reading and writing just because of the, na- the kind of learner that I am comes hard to me and mm-hmm. I've got to like work harder at it. So to answer your question, I don't think it's absolutely essential to have a great foundation in reading or to um, enjoy reading even to be a good storyteller. Can your stories live here? Can your stories live? Like, do you have a wild imagination? Uh, that's where it starts, I think. Because, you know, I often, I often tell students, man, if I was to bring you into my mind, there's, there's all kinds of, like, planets and galaxies <laughs> and creatures and storylines living up here. Part of the reason why a book sometimes takes me over a year to, like, be created is because writing comes hard to me. Converting those thoughts into words is hard for me. Now, why do I share that when I make my presentations to students? Because I want authors to come out of those children that find writing and reading hard. Just because you find reading or writing hard doesn't mean that you don't have a, an amazing imagination, right? And I don't, I don't want those ama- amazing thoughts, those amazing worlds characters, story plots, wild imaginations that are living in a child's mind who finds reading and writing hard. I don't want those to be lost forever. I want to share my story to inspire those kiddos who find reading and writing hard. I want them to I want them to feel like, okay, this dude finds reading and writing hard. 
but still he sells thousands of books because he, you know, works hard at putting his imagination on paper. If he can do it, I can do it. If he can do it, I'll want to do it, right? So yeah, it's it's absolutely not essential to enjoy reading or uh, have a great foundation in reading. We should work at having those things. We should work mm-hmm. at finding joy in reading. We should work at finding uh, having a good foundation in reading. Uh, but I, I would think the most essential thing is having a wild imagination and enjoying stories. I love stories. I love sharing stories. So I love that, and I think it's so true. And I also, when you were talking, it just made me think how a lot of my students who struggle in the past, struggled in the past with reading and writing, were often the students who would come in on Monday and have the best stories about their weekend. I mean, <laughs> crazy stories, or they would make up the best stories. I think I think that's so true. And I, I've asked that question to every author, and it's so interesting because personally, they've all had different experiences, but they've all said to me that they know authors who did not enjoy reading at all as children, or they don't now, and they ended up basically writing the books they wanted to read. That's good. That, that's a great, I'm so glad you said that. Right, right. So as an author, you looked at the world and said, man, books are out here, but I'm not really enjoying it. I know what kind of a book I would enjoy. Let me go ahead and create that. So mm-hmm. yeah, they, they were trying to create a solution for a problem that they saw in the world, and that's why they became authors, right? The other thing also, I would two things. I think my joy for reading and my joy for writing is an acquired one. I just my my need for writing books it came came from this need to manifest this world that was existing in my head. So mm-hmm. I saw a school where a little cello goes, you know, goes to school and has a tough first day. And there was this, and then he finds a song, and I was just like, man, I wish the world could see this little cello finding his song. So that desire to put this world in my mind out there for the world to see, that desire is what forced me to like get comfortable with writing. Because it was mm-hmm. just like, Dennis, if you don't get comfortable with writing, this story that you have in your mind is just going to be lost with you. What a great thing. I didn't mean, I'm sorry to interrupt. I just, what a great thing to tell our students that if you don't share the ideas you have in your head, no one else can enjoy that. No one else can learn from that. That's, I just love that. Okay. Sorry. (laughs) No, you're good. You're good. So I was just like, man, if you don't share that world, these worlds, so to speak, they're going to be lost forever uh, with you. Right. What better gift, what better legacy to leave even, you know, after your story is done, your stories still live on, right? I don't know, maybe I live to be 80 or 85 or whatever, but even after I'm gone, my legacy could be that I gave the gift, the stories that were in my mind, right? I mean, think of all the authors that we celebrate, right? Eric Carle being, uh, being a perfect example. He still lives on. He still lives on through his stories and his artwork, right? That's what motivates me to write and bring these worlds out to the world, uh, to people, to students via, via words. So the, the, the love for reading and writing is an acquired one. That was one thought that I had. The other thought that, that I had when you were talking about how you were, you were talking about how you're, you know, a lot of your students who struggled with reading and writing were the ones that had the most amazing stories after the weekend. I'm even, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of my kiddos who, if I told them to write a story, they would really struggle with it. But if I told him to draw a picture of that story, mm-hmm. right, I'm, I'm thinking of myself because I'm, I'm very much a visual learner. I see things in colors uh, and bright shapes and, right, um, everything's so visually 
uh, everything's everything becomes visually alive to me first. Mm -hmm. Then I go find the words for them. That's typically the process I go through. I see a little cello named Bello going to school first. Then I write the words. Bello the cello was thrilled about his first day of school. So for my educators who have kiddos who are struggling with reading and writing, right, when they come after a weekend, and if they, you know, you know, you've given the entire class 15 minutes and, you know, 10 minutes in or five minutes in or three minutes in, a majority of the classes has gotten to writing, but Joey is still sitting there wondering what to write. I would encourage Miss, you know, Jones to ask Joey to draw a picture mm -hmm. of his story, then extrapolate the story from that picture. All right, so Johnny, yeah. what are you doing in this picture? Oh, that's where I went to the store. So, okay, I want you to write. I got to go to the store. I went to the store this weekend, right? So deriving the words from uh, this visually uh, illustrated story. I, I just had that thought as well. And that's, I love that because I, I actually have a writing curriculum that I created and every single, every single writing lesson, every single one starts with drawing or some sort of visual representation for that exact reason. Because even the kids who could just sit down and write, it's always helpful for them to kind of draw and get their ideas, you know, draw your character, you know, draw, draw the setting, draw the things that are happening. And then from there, it's much easier to look at the picture and then pull some words from that. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. I agree. I think that's super good advice. So let me look at my list of questions. We've actually yeah. organically covered a lot of them. So that's pretty cool. Okay. So this is kind of a big question okay. as an author and a speech pathologist, so you are an educator, you're working with students every day. What do you think is one thing that most teachers are missing in their classroom? I would say one reason why I became a speech therapist or what motivates me and, and how my you know, role as a speech therapist connects with my role as an author is, is I feel like I'm in the business of helping children find their voice. Right. And a lot of times I feel we're so quick to put our agenda for the day or our agenda for the week or the year or whatever. The mechanics, if you will, uh, the formula, the cart, putting it in front of the horse. Right. So it's super important, I think, that past the labels, past the stereotypes, past the baggage that we see, you know, attached to children, right? I think it's super important to make kids feel like Mr. Matthew sees me as a person aside from whatever I'm working on in his speech therapy room. And I and and it seems so like duh, yeah, we we all know that, Dennis, but I feel like it's the one thing that we often look over as we're trying to teach kids right mm -hmm. um and so because we're we're so we're so caught up in testing and data and and giving information to children teaching mm -hmm. without first building building those bridges right uh and so you know i often say you know connection comes before content and relationship mm -hmm. comes before rigor a lot of times i feel like when i've connected with my students very well where do you come from? Tell me a little bit about yourself. How was your day? Tell me uh, a little bit about your family. What do you like to do for fun? That I've always noticed that the time that I invest in just getting to know my children has always then given me big rewards when it comes to actually working on the goals and objectives 
that I have to work on. A lot of times, you know, the cases that, you know, in speech therapy, the conversation will get going where Johnny's trying to tell me about his weekend. And he is so excited that Mr. Matthew asked him about his weekend. And he's so excited about sharing. And he's got so much language coming out of him that I get to then go in and fine tune as he is just narrating his you know, story that he's, ama- that, that he's just uh, amazed by, right? It could be the fact that he got to drive his ATV in, in the dirt in his backyard and he just wants to talk to me about his three-wheeler or ATV or whatever. And as he's talking to me about that, I'm asking him to fix his R, fix his S. Mm-hmm. Okay, keep going, Johnny. I'm, I'm listening to you. Uh, you're doing a great job. Keep talking. I love the story. That has worked for me 10,000 times more or better than me sitting in front of Johnny and asking Johnny, you doing good, Johnny? And Johnny's like, yep, all right, here we go. Card number one. What is the boy doing, right? I I know, I don't know if speech therapists still do this, but cards and little, you know, toolkits and all are, are very popular with speech therapists. And there's nothing wrong with all of those materials. But man, I heavily rely on an organic conversation with a student. I always have materials and plans and agendas, mm-hmm. but I don't, I don't always just, if, a, if, if I, Johnny and I sit across from each other and the conversation just takes off, I never, almost never, you know, like interrupt the child to say, okay, oh, we have materials that we need to go through, right? I almost always just use this conversation to my advantage for us to be working on our vocabulary, our sentence structure, our grammar, our, our speech sounds. So why say all that? I think what the mistake that, you know, a lot of educators, I don't want to say most or all, but a lot of educators, because we're human, because we're human. We get caught up in, John walks through the door, and you all of a sudden start attaching things to that profile. He's got an IEP. He comes from a broken home. Uh, you know, he hasn't had sleep last night. Because we put all these labels and attachments onto a child in our mind, we stop seeing them as, as human beings, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I have to always just teach myself, regardless of what you're working on with the child, first make sure that you're connecting with them, with him or her as a human being. Uh, because that investment in relationship always gives me big returns, big rewards as it relates to my goals and objectives. So I would just say, make sure that we're helping children find their voice. Make yeah. sure that we're helping children realize that they in fact are seen in our rooms. When children leave our rooms at the end of a day, they should feel like, you know what? I came with a heavy burden on my shoulders, but I feel like I got to just leave it all in Mr. Jo- you know, you know, Miss Susan's room or whatever. And I'm, I'm, I'm leaving the building, going back home, feeling much rejuvenated with my spirits lifted, right? And I think that happens when children feel like they are seen in our rooms. But when kiddos walk in and the minute they walk in, they're, they're just given one thing after another, after another, you know, as far as a to-do list is con- concerned, right? They just feel like, man, I, I didn't get to unpack, you know, what all's going inside me uh, before I could, I could take on more. So I, I would just say, I don't know if that made sense, but I, w- I would just say, you know, just make, you know, making sure that our children feel like they are seen in our rooms is super important. I agree. I think it's super important because it it can be easy. The best of teachers. I know, you know, you're like, I have to get through this lesson today because we have to move on to the next unit tomorrow. But when you teach lessons and not kids, you're missing the point. You know, you're missing the point. And I would much rather maybe be a little, little bit behind on my unit and have, like you said, have my kids feel seen 
And it's hard sometimes because you do have pressure. But also, I think when it comes to writing, if you know your students and you know about them and build that relationship when they're struggling with their writing and they don't know what to write about, you can say like, oh, well, you had baseball practice this weekend, right? Why don't you write about that? Or, you know, oh, you, you know, you went to your mom's house this weekend. Did you guys do anything? You know, it it gives that opportunity, like you said, to connect. And then also it works for the benefit because they can continue to work on their, their schoolwork. And the only way you would know that they had baseball practice that weekend is if you know your child. Right. And I think it's it's (laughs) super important that, that we should take the time to get to know our children because that investment that we put in the child, those kids who know that their teachers have invested in, in them in relationship building show up wanting to work, wanting to, and I want to work hard for Mr. Matthew because Mr. Matthew you know, takes time to find out about my weekend, find out about my family. He wants, he gets to, he takes time to get to know me. I love coming and working, working hard for him. You know what I mean? That, I think that paradigm would really work to our advantage in the, in the classroom. So. I totally agree. Um, all right. I have two more questions for you. Yeah, you're good. So the, the first is what keeps you going as an author when you want to give up, when, you know, maybe you got not some great feedback or you're my like stuck in the mire of trying to write your next book what keeps you going what's your inspiration burnout is real i mean i i'm uh i think i'm sitting at 20 over 20,000 books sold in the last two and a half years between all three of my titles but burnout burnout is real i mean there are just times where i feel like oh my gosh like i feel stretched i feel uh, tired uh in those moments i always like to just step back and kind of think of those joy points, right? Because we, we have plenty of pain points, right? But I always, always also think of the very first time I was sitting on my laptop writing the first words of Bello the Cello. Did I know that I'd be here 20,000 books later, right? So I, I think of the rewards of the past, right? Like the work I had to put in to get to this, get to here. I think of those aha moments of the past. Those like those fill me up. But then I always encourage myself saying there might be more moments of joy waiting for you in the future for which you have to put the next foot forward and the next foot forward, right? So like, for example, today's call uh, where I had that conversation with the librarian and she was like, we'd love to get 425 copies of Bello the Cello. That all started out because I reached out to a uh, teacher on Instagram and just connected with her. And I said, hey, listen, I'll, I'll be in your state visiting family, you know, for fall break. When I'm there for a few days, I'd love to see if we, if I can come by our school and do a, a school visit for, for the students in your building. So it took that initiation, right? Long Before long, she said, hey, I talked to my principal. I talked to my librarian. They are absolutely excited about it. Next thing you know, we have exchanged, uh, you know, I've exchanged emails with the librarian and the principal, and I'm FaceTiming the librarian today. That happened today. I didn't know that that would happen I didn't know that today I'd be FaceTiming with that librarian yesterday, right? So, but yesterday I was feeling burnout. So in those moments of burnout and those mo- in those moments of exhaustion, I have to say, hey, listen, you don't know what joys await you in the future. And so just persist for one more day, persist for one more day. And I think of those children, those thousands of children that get to hold my book. I'm, I'm not backed by a major publishing company. I don't have a literary agent, nothing. I'm, it's just me. I'm a, I'm a one man act, right? Uh, so I just think I can relate. I can totally relate. <laughs> yeah, so I just I just tell myself, look at you, dude. Like you, you are 
a solo act. You're working your butt off and, and children who've never met you are, are waiting for a book in the future, right? Think of, think of each child, Jose or, or Michael or, you know, um, Jenny or whoever that, that lives in Alaska or Florida or wherever. Children who have never met you in person. In the future, there's a day where these children are going to be holding a book just like children in the past did. So those moments bring me joy. Those moments where I know children in, in rural Oklahoma or on, on the mountaintops of California are getting my book in their hands. Um, those moments like fill me up and it keeps mm -hmm. me going on. And when I say mountaintops of California, I literally drove to a town that's like 4,000 is it meters? I think 4,000 meters above sea level, right? I think, I, yeah, I forget the, <laughs> once um, when I drove out to, flew out to, flew out to California to do an author visit for a school that's literally sitting at the top of a mountain, so remote, so remote, just drove through the desert uh, for a couple hours to go get books in the hands of children, right? Those moments bring me a lot of joy. Like, you know, I wonder if another author has driven that far to get to the top of this mountain to get get books to this child so those moments give me joy and those joy points like fill my bucket up and keep me going that's i mean that's great that's awesome to just think of you know the next kid who's going to have your book in their hand mm -hmm. how cool is that okay well speaking of your books i'm going to give you a, a, a nice question to reflect on as our last one which is which of your books which of the three books you've written so far is your favorite and maybe tell me why. I would say Bellow the Cello. I would say Bellow the Cello because it's, it's a simple story. I connect with it a lot. I relate to it a lot because Bellow's story is my story. Um, I would say as a child, I really struggled with finding my gift, my magic, so to speak, what I was good at. And cello is my favorite instrument. And I think, I think the simplicity of the story is why it sells a lot. Uh, in fact, tomorrow I'll be doing an author visit for a nonprofit. Uh, downtown here in Oklahoma City, bringing a cellist with me, uh, reading the book, and the cellist will be playing. Uh, so I would say Bello the Cello is my favorite, just because I connect with the with Bello a lot. So that's very cool. I I hope you take some pictures of that, or someone takes some pictures of that event. I'd love to see it. That's so neat. That I'm hoping to do so. Very cool. Um, well, if you ever want to come to an author visit in Sweden. Come on over. I'll have you at my school. Let's I'm sure that my, my principal would be cool with that. Yeah, that'd be great. Thank you so much for talking with us tonight or to during the day. It depends where you are. Here it's yeah, what, time, what time is it there in Sweden right now? Almost 11 p.m. Oh, wow. It's late. Yeah. Okay. All right. It's fine. It's fine. It's, it's before school starts. School starts next week. So I, there's no sleeping happening. It's fine. Got it. Uh, yeah. But thank you so much for talking to us. It was so great to hear your perspective and your story. And thank you to everybody who tuned in. I'm sure that they benefited from all of your insights. Author and teacher is going to take a short hiatus because I'm going back to school, but we will be back with more in the future. So thank you again, Dennis, so much. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate you. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Primary Paradise Teaching Author to Teacher. You can find more engaging, effective, and simple teaching ideas from Primary Paradise at myprimaryparadise.com and on Instagram and Facebook at Primary Paradise. Be sure to tune in next time for more engaging conversations related to teaching. Keep learning and teach on.